Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cooper Cole podcast, where we delve into the practices of Canadian and international artists in conjunction with their exhibitions at our gallery. This podcast emerged from our YouTube channel, which we developed in 2020. My name is Magdalene Asimakis, and I'm the Director of Research and Artist Relations at Cooper Cole, a contemporary art gallery in Toronto, Canada that was founded in 2012. This episode features a conversation between myself and the Vancouver-born, New York-based artist Sarah Swinner. Sarah is interested in the ways that images accumulate, endure, and change in value over time. Her conceptual photographs, collages, and films involve constant archiving and representation of collected visual materials, layering diverse imagery with reference to advertisements, retail catalogs, and old art history textbooks. Her visual assemblages meditate on how vernacular images shape collective worldviews and how those ideals can change through time and contextual manipulation. Sarah received her bachelor degree from York University and her MFA from Yale University. She has exhibited internationally at museums and galleries with select solo exhibitions, having been presented at the ICA Los Angeles, the Ramey Modern in Saskatoon, the Aldridge Contemporary Art Museum in Ridgefield, the Milwaukee Museum of Art, Minneapolis Institute of Art, and Oakville Galleries. She's also been included in numerous group exhibitions at MoMA in New York, the 33rd Biennial de Sao Paulo in Brazil, Malmo Kunsthal in Sweden, and MoMA PS1 in Queens, New York. In 2021, Sarah presented a new work commissioned by the Performa Biennial in New York, and in 2019, MoMA commissioned Sarah to make a series of films that streamed on the museum's website and social media platforms. Currently, Sarah is the second artist in residence at the Horizon Art Foundation in Los Angeles, where she is joining us from today. Her current exhibition at Cooper Cole is presented in both our East and West galleries. Entitled Apple, this exhibition includes eight new photographs, four collages on plexiglass and magnetic steel, and a unique video installation on view in our West Gallery. In the East Gallery, Sarah's photographs and collages are hung with spatial irregularity throughout the main floor and vault space. The West space holds Sarah's video installation entitled Video Index for Exhibition Apple Toronto, which consists of a video work which is about 11 minutes long that is displayed in a custom white and red structure built into the gallery. The walls are loosely draped with blue printed paper that mimic the backdrops of photographs created in the artist's studio. We are recording this interview in conjunction with Sarah's exhibition currently on view in both our galleries until June 11th, 2022. So here it is, hope you enjoy. So just to start, it might be helpful for those who are um, just becoming familiar with your practice, if you could tell us a bit about it and, and how you approach your work more generally. Um, yeah, so I work in photography and video, and a lot of my work is kind of finding and reusing and re-photographing and filming existing images. Um, and I'm particularly interested in popular images or kind of um, images that a lot of people are familiar with, um, at least in a Western context, and kind of thinking about how our, the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see our history um, is filtered through a set of images 
and also ideas, I guess, like a broad definition of images um, that kind of trail behind us and that come up again and again that we all sort of see all the time through the media and through um, the way we learn about history and the way we learn about um, commerce too. Like a lot of these images come through kind of commercial levels of advertising and um, things that are sold to us. So um, I'm kind of recollecting and recontextualizing these images to try to reveal the way that they actually work and the way that they kind of affect us on an individual personal level. Cool. And then in um, the exhibition at Cooper Cole, that's up right now, uh, the exhibition is called Apple. Um, so, and then when you walk in the exhibition, there's, you have this photo, um, it sort of feels like a portrait of an apple that you see when you walk <laughs> into the East Gallery. Um, it's called Apple for Scale after Steve Jobs. Uh, so anyway, so I, I was curious about what the significance is of the title, but you know, also in your, I, you have a solo exhibition up right now at the ICA LA and the title is Apple Red, Grass Green, Sky Blue. Um, so it's, it's obviously popping up here, here and there. So I was just curious about, about that. What made you sort of give it the title and, you know, decide to weave it through your work? Yeah, I mean, um, I like to photograph things that are kind of really commonly photographed, I guess. Um, like I make a lot of flower pictures too. There are a couple in the show. Mm -hmm. um, and like I had been looking a lot at kind of um, industrial apple photography or like um, kind of trade guides for selling apples and the way that these kind of purely commercial images can be so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then I also came across a picture of Steve Jobs from the 70s standing in front of a kind of still life of an apple that looks exactly like the photo I ended up taking. Um, and I was thinking about all the, like the different places that a picture of an apple could come up or why anyone would, would have one. Um, and then I also have been using an apple a lot in my work um, in the film Last Life that's at the ICA LA show and then also in this show as something that kind of marks the scale. Like we always think we know what size an apple is, but um, here the apple is jumbo and um, like 10 times the scale of a regular apple. Um, in my film, I was kind of um, like filming over tons and tons of objects, pictures of people, pictures of giant buildings, things that are huge, things that are tiny. Like the film had macro views of insects, but then it also had like a giant picture of New York City. And the apple was, was I had inserted some real apples as this kind of thing that tells you what the scale actually is. Like it's the one thing that is at its actual scale within the whole project. And I've been thinking about that a lot, like how um, it's so hard to figure out the scale or the importance of anything in kind of online worlds and how it's hard to find something to grasp onto that's like familiar from our actual lives and the apple kind of became that thing for me like normally as soon as you see a human body you kind of understand what the scale of something is but I feel like that's less and less true as we have like tiny people in our phones and um, yeah. giant women on billboards and like the 
scale differentials are constantly shifting. Mm -hmm. So I've been using more and more apples. <laughs> <laughs> and then how does that compare with um, the other, I guess, sort of portraits of you have a couple of um, peonies um, that are sort of pinned in place and then um, a counterfeit Rolex. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and crop, close crop. Um, yeah, how does it, because they sort of feel the same in their treatment and that it's like sort of a studio shot. But um, but then you also use those photos in your larger collages or photo collages. Um, so what's the relationship there? And like, how do you select the object, I guess, that um, that you choose to photograph in that sort of more focused way? Yeah, I mean, I, with those I was interested in like making these kind of commercial still life looking pictures but of things that you wouldn't really want to buy like uh, well you would want to buy the apple I guess but um <laughs> the Rolex is like a cracked fake Rolex that's so garbagey that it broke the first day I had it and and I've also always been um into kind of fakes and replicas and things that look like the thing but aren't the thing yeah. Um, like I feel like the watch just kind of makes sense I also wanted to have this um, reminder of time like um, the show is a lot about kind of how things come from all over the world like the doll is made up of objects that I bought the doll picture which I'm sure we can get to later was um, made up of um, like objects a lot of them like plastic craft that came from Amazon and from eBay and I traced their provenance and where they came from in the work itself and um, I guess speed and the speed of like being able to buy things and the kind of alchemy of the internet how something just appears the next day um, and then the kind of stress of living in that pace is part of the show and part of what I've been thinking about so having a kind of old watch that no one would even wear anymore felt like this um, kind of sad important moment <laughs> and then the flowers are just this kind of ongoing project of shooting things that are their actual natural color but because of the way that we look now and kind of assume everything is fake they no longer look like they're like real once you encounter them kind of recontextualized or that's how I think about it I don't know if everyone has that experience but um, and it's kind of an extension of an ongoing interest in how natural colors and shapes and um, forms get kind of taken up by industry and standardized. So even flowers like come in a certain number of um, shades now in giant boxes and you go to one neighborhood in New York City and buy them. And, and yeah, it all feels really tenuous, but also it's like, a natural thing and a flower and something we all remember and know and so I guess it's kind of a metaphor that it's like pinned together like it's not even a real flower I'm like pinning extra petals onto it to make it look better yeah well and it's interesting the idea of it sort of being co-opted too and then um sort of fixed and and put back out um is really uh interesting idea i hadn't thought about that before with the works i was curious about the um pinning and that work that that makes a lot of sense the um so like relatedly the exhibition 
you think a lot about um, the embodiment of accumulation and repetition specifically as it relates to you know consumer products um, and how they shape understandings of ourselves um, so I would be interested I mean I know that you said that this is particularly so with um, the two works doll index one 1779 to 1950 which is the large photo collage and the other one would be uh, Virginia from essence.com and the pink rose Prada skirt too um, which is a studio portrait. And I thought the skirt looks a lot like the the flower, your flower portraits as well, which is I know. interesting. Oh, I know. <laughs> I feel like Fujia ripped First. it off. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, okay, my flower was on the mood board. <laughs> which actually I think happens more than, more than like any of us are aware. Like people will tell me, oh, your picture was on the mood board all the time. And I'm like, oh, why don't they just ask me to make the work? But exactly, it work that that's way. so interesting. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, which which rose came first? Because um, I wasn't sure when the skirt was from. Uh, yeah, it's from after I made most of the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Important fact. Um, Okay, that's yeah. So that adds something to it that it's sort of sitting that portrait sort of sitting between the peony and the um, doll photo collage as well. Um, maybe you can speak to the because those two pictures or those the two works they sort of have a lot in common even though they appear very different. Yeah, I mean, um, well, for one thing, like when I saw that Prada skirt with the flower, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like they. <laughs> They, I don't, I will never know if they ripped me off, but like I have worked with them before and I know they're aware of my work. And I was like, this looks, it, this has also happened with Apple, oddly. They made this like advertisement that had just like some details that could only have, I feel like could only have meant that like my photo was on some mood board as well. But then again, I didn't invent flower photos, and you never know. So, <laughs> like, I, yeah, I'm not really mad. I'm just like, this is interesting. Let me yeah. reabsorb these things. Right. Um, and, yeah, the, so um, the Virginia picture is, like, thinking about how um, people kind of reproduce themselves according to images of themselves that they've already made like we all do that on Instagram or we'll like do the thing that we got the most positive feedback for doing over and over again I mean that's like a narrow view but I think that does happen a lot um, and then in another sense the model that I'm photographing um, is photographed in the same three poses over and over again in this like endless repetition on the website essence.com which is a kind of like full archive of a particular kind of like middle upper tier of fashion um and the same models um repeat like i've, I've looked at these models you know hundreds and thousands of times at this point and so I was getting them in my studio and having them kind of do their poses, but with like all the slippages of me photographing them instead without all the apparatus that the fashion company has to make everything look identical. And with them kind of just slightly slipping from the formula and being a bit more real. Um, 
And yeah, I was thinking about like the way people get kind of depersonalized or dehumanized when they're kind of used for fashion and for industry like that. And then also thinking about how the way that they are posing was the same as these doll pictures that I was finding from the, well, there's doll costumes, so also like fashion from the 1700s, but they were photographed in the 1950s on these doll mannequins. And then I think the costumes themselves have been lost. The archive was in the city of New York or the Museum of the City of New York. And then it was donated to the Met Museum. And what the actual objects in the collection are just these eight by 10 photos. And they're really beautiful. They're like the thing I was talking about before, like these kind of middle images that aren't necessarily advertisements, but aren't like personal photos either. And you can see the human hand in them and how they're kind of not quite technically right. And there are these crazy shadows. And the poses are almost the same as the essence models. And I don't know, I was just thinking, like, what does that mean that, you know, the same, yeah, the same way of showing clothes, like, just repeats over and over again, and some things just never change, and I'm always kind of trying to find those sorts of connections over periods of time. So there's this kind of, like, totally robotic-looking, kind of creepy-looking doll mannequin next to this real person, and they're, you know, 70 years apart, but they're posed the same way in the show. And they're both wearing fashions of different kinds. One is like a crazy 1700s elaborate floral dress, and the other is the Prada skirt with the flower on it. And the, um, yeah, you're so right. They're posed exactly the same, and even the uh, shadows are being cast the same in the same direction. And it's something... Yeah that I wouldn't normally sort of think of in the same way because I'm so used to looking at um, like online fashion models like on essence.com and, and you know, some, you might look at that photo and think that perhaps um, you did some photography for essence or, almost, or something until you look more closely and you see that it do, it do, it's not quite, it has the sort of imperfections as you say um, that add some that maintain, I guess, some character of the of the reality of of a setting, but um, but then the doll portrait um, also has a lot of collage elements to it. It's it's a photo collage. Um, can you talk about how you would, um, in the case of a work like that, um, decide you know which images you would incorporate, what kind of information, and and how you go about that. Yeah, I mean, um, that was a way of working that I've done quite a bit. Like, I first started working like that with this, um, these display stands, these gum display stands um, in, like, 2014, I guess. And um, I'm kind of taking the original image and then trying to rework it with um, – things that feel like they could be of a similar world. So with the doll, it's like a lot of kind of women's products or like domestic products or um, like um, self-improvement products. And then also a kind of darker history of photography that might've existed alongside the original um, doll picture. 
um, maybe like some glimpses into something less controlled than a lot of the photos that are in the work, which are like the doll picture and then these kind of pictures from Amazon or eBay where people have photographed the things to sell them. So like there are kind of some nude portraits of women that I bought on eBay and there are, there are some pictures from porn, um, which are kind of gnarly. <laughs> Although I cut out the worst ones in the end, I was like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> but it's all the same kind of world of um, things being for sale and then how they kind of call out to the person who might want to buy them and how that all kind of swirls around and if it what it does to organize it according to a different logic which is what fits in this picture of a doll and what you get at the end of that is this kind of grouping of stuff that says legitimate as any other group of stuff that someone might buy but only organized according to remaking a picture I guess that makes sense and um, everything is ordered from the internet um, or is like taken from the internet like the porn pictures they're still things that are kind of for sale um, and and then the provenance of each thing like where it came from how it was described scale-wise like again, going back to scale and the difficulty of figuring out scale or color or um, like getting, yeah, how things get like translated and confused through the internet as part of it too. So the, I, I included a lot of text that like tries to tell you what the thing is, even though the thing is not that thing at all once it arrives. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of like disappointment of the internet is always in my work too, like how everything is always worse when you get it um, and yeah um, and then I'm like rebuilding the sections of the doll with those objects re-photographing them and putting them back onto the original picture mm -hmm. and then and what brought you to the the photos of the dolls in the first place did you see them in person or was it something you just saw on their on the Met website yeah I uh, I was actually actually kind of funny like doing a fashion project which I actually don't do very many fashion projects like I think because my work thinks about fashion so much a lot of people think I work half in fashion but I, I actually almost never do any fashion jobs I kind of usually just don't think it's worth it um, but I was doing one and I was looking through all these like archival photos for material um, like public domain archival photos um, and I ended up on the Met website, and then I found this whole archive of these doll photos that are so amazing. Like, they look really ghostly. Um, they all have these, like, really oppressive costumes on. Um, and, yeah, they kind of feel like they're from another world. And then the bad, the way that they're photographed kind of badly really makes you think, about the person who was there taking the picture and the like photo shoot around documenting these things mm -hmm. which I really love and yeah I mean I almost made a show of just dolls but <laughs> maybe next time maybe next time yeah yeah because it's really I, I mean as you say it's like a really haunting sort of image and um and you have it you know blown up so large but presumably they're quite small in reality yeah they're tiny um I think they're like eight by 10 photos mm -hmm. and I imagine the dolls were around that size too. Yeah. And then you have them like 
at life size, basically. Yeah, like I like the idea that they feel like um, mannequins or like some sort of nightmarish looming thing because of the shadow. Like, yeah, it feels like that cartoon where something grows, like, and suddenly is <laughs> like looming over you. Like, just well, the way and the that costume too. It just that it's like from the past and um, yeah, sort of as you say, like this moment of um, really oppressive and uh, fashion for women as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, they feel kind of haunted. Totally. The um, so in the, you know, extending from this conversation of you know images of women, um, in a lot of your new works, uh, you have this image of a swimmer. Um, she appears frequently, um, and even in your so in this exhibition, also you've created unique collages for the first time. And so she's in there. She's in the video installation. Um, so she's a, a 3D model you purchased online, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's from TurboSquid.com, which is like um, <laughs> another like like Essence or the Met uh, Museum Archive. It's like a different type of repository of a particular thing, um, which is like pre-animated 3D characters. A lot of them are just like male fantasy projections. (laughs) Like there are a lot of like hot blonde ladies on there. Um, It's a pretty gross, like if you start, if you just put in woman, you get so many gross things. Um, And which is interesting. It's like a particular kind of like probably white tech guy like well I don't know but I I think I can safely assume um, tech guy fantasy um, of what women look like um, or should look like Um, and then um, I found this swimmer who I feel like kind of transcends that like she has some strength she looks really strong Um, she's animated so she can dive into a pool of water like she has an, an activity she does she's not just like posing mm-hmm. um and she also has these dark circles under her eyes which I really loved like she looks kind of tired yeah. which I'm sure was an accident but um and yeah I've been using her a lot I was like she's animated in the glass life video that I made last year and she's like sort of swimming through um a bunch of photographs and objects um and she's the kind of like one person who can move through all the things because she's not real um and and then even before that I was like putting the image of her in things um and yeah I guess some people read her as an avatar for me I don't really see it that way I just see her as this like strong but vulnerable character um and yeah and then in the video she's speaking this alphabetical list that um, comes up in the collage works too that was from glass life is and is like a list of um just terms that were coming up a lot in my searches over the period of making the piece and that feel like they're kind of a portrait of a certain time um through a set of words and she's saying the words but she but she's kind of glitchy and uncanny and weird that's interesting because I, I sort of assumed she was just an avatar for you. Um, but maybe I think that because of the video, um, 
in which she's reading these words in your voice that you're referencing. So in the video, there's um, you have this alphabetical list of 68 words um, pulled from the media in the last two years, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, and then they repeat also in various aspects of the exhibition, like also in the collages and um, were they was there any sort of rhyme or reason to it or was it just like 68 random words that kept popping up? Um, I guess I wanted to reflect like the way that you might use the internet. So like the way that you might start looking for things that are of interest to you and nobody else. Like, so for example, Berenice Abbott is in there. Well, not that she's not of interest to many other people, but I don't think that many people are searching yeah. Berenice Abbott, um, <laughs> who for the uninitiated is a, um, like a photographer from the earlier 20th century. She took um, pictures of New York City, and I feel like she was one of the first kind of surveillance photographers or bird's eye view photographers. Like she was taking a lot of pictures from above looking down before a lot of people were photographing from that viewpoint. Um, and then, yeah, like Paula Rigo is in there, who's another kind of semi-forgotten woman artist, although she's in the Venice Biennale now, so that's exciting. Um, and, a lot and then of there came are, out of the woodwork. A lot of women came oh out of the woodwork. Oh my God. Woodwork. Yeah, they sure <laughs> did. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Which is great. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I was like, Paula Rigo. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, then also words that were of kind of like shared interests, like illness or um, police, I guess, quid pro quo, which like for a moment was coming up a lot in the news. Um, and yeah, I wanted it to feel like how your own kind of interests or like esoteric um, needs from the internet get sort of punctuated or punctured by these other terms that you might not have wanted to think about. Um, and how it kind of turns into this like archive of information that we all absorb and collect that doesn't really have a logic. And then thinking again about like how to organize that like according to some logic. So the doll is like the doll is the logic in the doll picture and that's the organizing principle is, is this photo as a kind of structure and then um, in the other works, in the video, the alphabetical list is kind of the structure. Um, and I was also thinking a lot about how, like, every word can have multiple meanings. So, like, if you say um, quid pro quo or snake, you can see, or, like, um, Marilyn, there can be a lot of different things that come up for any person. And then that extends to a sort of ongoing interest I have in, like, how truth and pub and like the shared record gets solidified and how the things that turn out to be like decided upon as important or true could just as easily have been other things so there's this kind of like archive and then um the idea is that there could be many different versions of the same um structure but i only managed to get two of the collages made for this show so it's an ongoing project um, with the the unique collages, you mean? Yeah, like the ones that are, they're kind of made over a photograph of the alphabetical list. And then mm -hmm. um, I wanted to have like five versions so you could start to see the differences between them more, but that's for next time. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I imagine they're pretty laborious to make too, because you were also yeah. working with the, you were involved in the making of the frame and sort of three layers of glass or plexi to, to create a sort of um, three dimensional effect to the to the collages as well. Yeah, yeah, it took forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, what made you want to make physical or unique collages for the first time? Um, I guess I've been making them for a long time, but always felt like you need the extra layer of like removal that the camera affords. Um, and I usually still feel that way. I really wanted to make these pieces that had this extra layer of plexi so that you could sort of see the collage, but also see what's behind the first layer of the collage, like mm -hmm. sort of speaking to that idea that everything could be another thing, like um, that you're looking at an apple, but there's another apple slightly behind it and you can sort of just see it or that like something's always waiting to take the place of the thing that you're looking at. Um, I feel like that idea can be kind of brought out more in those pieces as I work on them more. But um, yeah, like I usually am happy with re-photographing things, but in this case, I felt like structure would make sense. And also like I did a performance for Performa last year that had a big magnetic wall with, um, and a collage was being built using magnets over the course of the performance. And I guess just there was something about the kind of freedom and casualness of that that I felt like could be good to bring into some of my other work. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It sort of like, you know, makes visible your process in a, in a more material way. Um, yeah. yeah, I actually was going to ask about Performa. So um, yeah, I guess about the performance in general for those who are not familiar with it, but also just how um, this project, like the collages in the video, um, sort of extended, built on that, on that, which was your first performance, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, Performer was really intense. Um, it was like um, a kind of pre-recorded script and then um, a series of objects and images came down a conveyor belt like through the audience um, and uh, they went under a camera as they were mentioned in the pre-recorded script. Um, so they were kind of like animated as they were passing. And then they sort of fell onto the floor of the stage and um, two helpers or workers or actors were building a collage on, on the, a metallic wall behind the stage with the materials as they were coming on. And it was kind of about like trying to organize all this stuff, but sort of failing to do so. Um, and it was originally supposed to take place in the Century 21 department store, um, which would have made a lot of sense. Like it was about kind of accumulations of unwanted materials and um, also thinking about like Walter Benjamin and department stores and how the department store replaced the arcade, which was then replaced by the internet and the big mall and then the internet. And, um, and it was this huge like hall space um, and there were all these like unused mannequins and, and like makeup displays with like blinking lights that were almost oh like gosh, that's perfect. Powers. Like mm -hmm. that got me really thinking about site specificity and yeah, like how much 
more some of the work would resonate in, in a space like that mm -hmm. yeah where did you where did you do it in the end um we did it in an old top shop um which oh, was cool great. like conceptually but it was like a disgusting space <laughs> like <laughs> it had low ceilings and you know really ugly um architecture um good ugly or um no but ugly. i mean it worked like we kind of curtained the whole thing and turned the, and like lit it you couldn't really mm -hmm. tell where you were mm -hmm. and but you did go up into it through an escalator which was cool so and then was um so you have a large uh, video installation in the show at cooper cole um called video index video index for exhibition apple toronto um which is a great title uh, <laughs> I was like, is this title too pretentious? No, <laughs> no, I like it. Um, and so, and that, if I recall correctly, also was related to the performance. Um, there is a sort yeah. of um, mechanical sort of moving things around and um, as well as a, a view into your process a little bit. Um, so how did that yeah how did you conceptualize that i'm also curious about the score which is really beautiful oh yeah well um the score is prokofiev like the romeo and juliet um ballet song from the 20s um which i like as it's kind of like kitsch song like i think it's in like a black sabbath song or something like that and it's been in lots of kind of popular pop songs it's been used in and then it's also heavily used by figure skaters <laughs> and as um you may know i am a former figure skater and i'm always like looking at what music the figure skaters are using because they are trying like they really use kind of kitsch music but also like really classic popular music and they're always just like trying to pull the heartstrings of the viewers and, um, <laughs> so i often use music figure skating um and then that was also the music i used in um the performance piece and some of the video is this pre-recorded video that was featured in the performer piece um which was kind of like um played within the performance and the workers who were working on the magnetic walls suddenly like stopped and started moving along with the video um and the piece for the show is for the Apple show is kind of like this index of working materials that I was working with at the time of the show and that kind of um, basically are the source material or the inspiration for all the photos that are in the show. Like, I, I don't know, I keep thinking about how you make this final artwork and it's maybe like a wall work and that doesn't like have as much of a voice as maybe a video does and so much of the kind of working or the being in the studio and the um, research and everything doesn't make it into the final work and I think that's okay a lot of the time and even good but I wanted to start thinking about making these kind of video indexes that have more of the like actual animated or spoken reference material like the photos in the show have so much to do with the performance, with the performer piece and with the text. Um, and 
So like showing some of that, showing the magnetic wall as it was like animated in the video versus how it works in one of the collage pieces that uses magnets in the show, for example, or showing like the layering of images in the studio space as they're kind of moved around, I think just makes the collages and the photos like have more life and make more sense. Um, so that's what the video is about. And it's kind of like a working set of materials that um, went into making the show. And um, it's like a unique uh, work because it's only, you know, for this show. Mm -hmm. But I think I'll keep working that way. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting aspect of it, that it's not a, an addition video um, and also includes a sort of like white and red structure um, that the video is shown in. And then you have um, sort of like bluish turquoise, um, loosely draped, uh, I guess, would you call it like paper scrolls or something on the walls? Um, yeah, they're the backdrops I use for a lot of the photos. Um, mm -hmm. And I just like exploded it and printed like 20 times more than I would ever need and covered the <laughs> space with it. What made you decide to to do that? And um, did you design the, the structure itself as well? Yeah, I did. And I wanted it to actually have a photo on the front that the video would periodically like pause and um, like mesh with the photo and they would just become one image and then it would keep going mm -hmm. but in the end i kind of liked the like industrial scrappiness of the structure as it looks and i just kept it um more plain and then yeah the i i guess i wanted to create an environment where you don't really feel like you're in a familiar space like you're not in a gallery you're not in like a black box video room mm -hmm. um and it's like a little bit harder to get your footing and also to just like bring in some of the chaos of the studio into the work so which yeah it gets like cleaned up and thrown away for the most part usually um, yeah yeah i think it turned out well it's definitely an experiment but yeah. i'm really happy with how it worked and i definitely want to keep working in that way totally I and think I those like papers are beautiful I think they're, yeah, they're gorgeous. And I love the way you crumpled some up and, and sort of left them hanging rather than, uh, you know, potentially pasting them to the wall or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went through and crumpled right before the opening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works really well. I mean, it adds some sort of really beautiful texture as well with the color. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, those kind of materials, like, the shitty bond paper that they're printed on mixed with the like really beautiful colors you can get from digital inks. Um, I love thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Well, and what is your approach to color? Because I think some, I, I really feel like your photographs are very recognizable because of um, not just your visual language at this point, but also your color language. Um, you have a very distinctive approach to it. So I was wondering, yeah, how do you how do you select your colors or how do you approach which colors to use? Yeah, there are certain colors that I just really love and use over and over again, like a kind of dusty red or um, mustard yellow I really love, pink. Um, I really like how color, or I think a lot about how color kind of contains history and meaning, but it's not something that 
you might immediately read, but you kind of feel it or you like know it affectively um, without thinking about it too much. Um, and thinking about how like certain colors take you to certain times, like I, I like using a lot of 70s colors or 80s colors and then kind of mixing them with colors that feel like they could only be from right now, like things that feel like rose gold I used a lot for a while because it felt like this like super contemporary millennial color and now it feels passe already and I love that. Um, so did when you were taking the photograph of the guts, um, which are from a lamb, is that correct? Uh, from a sheep? A sheep. Yeah, a sheep. <laughs> um, was that, did you put the blue sort of tint to it? Um, no. Oh, okay. That's how it looked, yeah. It's, I mean, they were in a metal bowl, mm -hmm. um, but they're just blue. They're like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, but also wow. so gross. Yeah, is that why you photographed them? You just found it, like the color and the shape so interesting? Yeah, and I was also thinking a lot about like, inside versus outside but i don't even know if i want to like put that, that theory on it but like okay. <laughs> um i yeah i just because i it was during like really really beginning of covid like in march or april of 2020 uh, and i hadn't filmed anything or made anything because you couldn't really and then um this like farmer that if friend of mine knew in upstate New York um, had a bunch of sheep that he would like slaughter and sell and I was like that sounds like an interesting thing to film <laughs> and then it was so awful and um, yeah just not something I ever wanted to look at again and but then the guts were in this silver bowl after and I was like this is amazing and it was like just left there and slowly all these flies were coming landing on it and yeah that was I guess made the whole thing worth it but mm -hmm. yeah it was a pretty gnarly experience I and I think say. a lot of people think that's like archival footage because it's shot on film but right right um and that's and that's the same footage that comes up in the video as well yeah I'm I also want things to be beautiful or at least how I understand things to be beautiful um like a lot of my work is thinking about like how pleasure gets created through commercial objects and images and how we kind of participate in those things even though we know that they're doing something to us and working on us and that it might not be good for us um but we still want to participate in buying and looking and even making images um and how it's kind of a trap, but it's also kind of a pleasure. And um, yeah, like sort of the impossibility of negotiating that. So I I try to, even though my photos are like very critical of capitalism, for example, I also want them to sort of like be seductive objects and like live in this complicated space of um, being seduced, but also knowing maybe you shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean, which is a very common sensation, right, Of for those of us who are critical of capitalism, but then are not um, 
sort of uh, immune to the uh, desirability of objects um, or, you know. So I think that that's a really uh, interesting and difficult balance to create in an image. Um, um, And also, you know, themes of um, reproduction factor quite centrally in your work, um, which makes sense and that you think so much about um, capitalist accumulation and the virtual world and, and how we put ourselves out there um, in relation to how we exist in, in space. Um, yeah. I'm curious about what the thinking is that underpins this interest um, and how it, how it manifests maybe more theoretically in your work. Like thinking about reproduction? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess when I was 18, I read the Walter Benjamin piece, <laughs> and uh, I've been thinking about that a lot. There's this um, piece called Digital, um, oh my God, Digital City, I think, um, that came out in the New Atlantis, like in the middle of COVID, and I was like, this is this is everything. Like it kind of an obscure I think it might even be like a Christian sci-fi journal or something anyway it's it's kind of like connecting the the Walter Benjamin work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction to the internet and like the idea that um because we don't even seem real to one another anymore we like don't treat each other with as much care or it's like easier to tear into a reproduction of a person online than the actual person themselves, like, you know, metaphorically, I guess, and how, um, like, the kind of scariness and danger of other people and things and even actions seeming less and less real. Um, So I think a lot about that. And I think also about, like, I think I touched on it a bit, how the same images and ideas come up over and over again and how kind of, like, the people in power are always trying to maintain the status quo or, you know, keep something going. Um, and you have to like go through this forward and backward constant slide of progress and then going back on progress to try to like get anywhere out of that cycle. And um, I think Sylvia Winter, um, or maybe it's Catherine McKittrick. There's like a piece where they talk to each other, but um, speaks about how, the human body also tries to conserve itself and is trying to keep something going. And similarly, um, the world and the world of power is trying to maintain and keep something going and that um, everything kind of gets absorbed into that and that making real change um, becomes sort of harder and harder. I I guess that's a long answer to reproduction, but um, I think I try to like show that through images instead of talking about it and show how like the same poses and the same types of image come up again and again how things get like further and further from what they actually were um i mean that actually blends really well into my last question which is just about what you were reading these days are there any texts and audio that contributed to your thinking with this work so i guess this book the sci-fi book that you're mentioning must have had some influence yeah, I mean, there wasn't even a book. It was just like a think piece, like in Glass Life or around the, like a year ago when I was making that piece and starting to work on the show. I was thinking a lot also about like 
what our how all of our opinions are kind of like a collage of other people's opinions and what would how would you speak if you were just speaking as a think piece <laughs> or like a kind of lefty like um woke piece in the atlantic or the new atlantis or whatever um so i looked at a lot of think pieces for a while um and this was one of them but it it like just had so much in it you know when you read something and you're like that's exactly what i thought but i couldn't say it as well exactly <laughs> and also yeah i'm thinking about that on some level but i hadn't really articulated it to myself either you know yeah yeah um, so that piece was that i've been reading the timothy morton hyperobjects book which is like about how we try to make sense of things that we just like can't absorb or understand like how we live surrounded by what he calls or what they call hyper objects which are like the weather global warming um industrial capitalism like these things that we know affect us on everyday individual levels but that we can't absorb or understand because they're just too big um and the book's about a lot of other things but that kind of idea actually feels really relevant for my own work too because I'm always trying to like get at these huge things through like a plastic cup or um a small object mm -hmm. well thanks so much Sarah this was really interesting it was great to chat with you and hear more about your new work thank you good luck with your residency at thank Horizon you. it's a really exciting time for you you're just starting yeah Mm -hmm. I have to figure out what to do with 4,000 square feet, <laughs> which That's is not nice a bad problem. problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>